You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. All right, good morning to everyone here and online. Today we're going to be continuing our sermon series through Luke, uh, and as we enter into chapter 5, we'll be learning and studying how Jesus begins to select his disciples and how he calls them to make this a priority, to leave everything and follow him. And so if you want to turn with me to Luke 5, we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 11. Luke 5, 1 to 11. I'm going to pray before we read that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church, for this community, for the city in which we live, Lord God, that you've called us to be lights uh, in the places that you've brought us, Lord God. And as we learn more about that this morning, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would open our hearts uh, to receive um, the word that you have for us, Lord God, the lessons that you have for us this morning, that, that we would be strengthened, strengthened, encouraged, that we would grow in the knowledge of who you are and who you've called us to be, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke 5, 1 to 11. It says, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets." And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid. Jesus told Simon, from now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Okay, so just work with me here in the scenario. Imagine you've just started a business, and this business is incredibly personal and important to you, okay? I mean, not only is it your, your dream job and, and you also get to run your own company, but also your whole, say your whole future security, your finances, your retirement plan, providing for your family, and everything else is specifically tied up and dependent upon the success of this business. And let's say you've already purchased the building, you've done the renovations, the sign is up on the front already, the product has arrived and it's ready to be stocked on the shelves. So the only thing you need to do now, though, is to hire a couple of employees. And as the owner and manager of the company, remember this is, this is a company that you really want and need to succeed, what are you going to be looking for as you go through and request resumes? 
Well, I'd imagine you'd, you'd be looking for a candidate who has experience and, and education related to the field, right? You're also going to be looking to hire someone with incredibly positive references. Of course, this person has to be teachable and dependable. Preferably, the applicant would be uh, a person who can handle conflict and stress well without cutting off someone's ear. In the same vein, you'd want them to be someone who is a team player, right, and who can work well with others. And on the flip side, someone who has integrity and can also work well on their own if needed. Ultimately, in order for your business to succeed, you're going to be looking to hire the most qualified person as possible, and all other applicants need not apply, right? That makes sense. And this is also pretty much the process in which rabbis would choose their disciples in Jesus' day. Only the few select pupils who excelled at learning and memorizing the Torah in their early years would be considered by a rabbi to come under their tutelage at the age of 13. And you might recall, uh, if you've read through through Acts or Paul's letters, you might recall that Saul, also known as Paul, uh, was one of those select few who was trained actually by a very notable rabbi at the time named Gamaliel. Anyways, if you, if you were selected by a rabbi to be one of his students, this was an incredibly high honor. It was an incredibly high honor and a very unique and rare privilege. It meant you were incredibly qualified and had lots of potential. Therefore, it would have also been a point of pride among that young boy's family and hometown. The rest of the 13-year-old boys who didn't get selected, which was most of them, would join the workforce then, usually joining their fathers in whatever trade or work they did. Do you hear that, Liam, my 13-year-old son? You'd be working right now if you lived 2,000 years ago. So stop complaining about school. I'm just kidding. He doesn't complain. He's a smart kid. All right. Anyway, so again, it was, it, while it was rare to be chosen as a disciple, it wasn't uncommon for rabbis to, to gather students and disciples to learn at their feet. But what's, what's so uncommon about Jesus' selection of disciples is the kind of disciples he selects. I mean, again, one would think that that since Jesus' mission is so incredibly important, the salvation and future of humanity, the world and the kingdom of God only lay in the balance here, right? So, So you'd think that in order to be successful in his purpose and in his mandate, that he'd make sure to choose only the best candidates, right? The ones with the best resumes, the most theologically learned, the most righteous, the most faithful, the most dependent, the most teachable and experienced people to join him and help him in his mission. That would make the most sense to us, right? But no, he basically does the complete opposite. He selects what amounts to be the 12 most least likely to succeed ragtag group of disciples to follow him. And in the passage we read this morning, he starts by calling three of them, three fishermen, one named Simon, who he later renamed Peter, as well as the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. But, but even in the presence of Jesus, and remember last week how we talked about Jesus' Jesus's authority and how we respond to it. So, so in the presence of Jesus' holiness and, and authority, Simon specifically is, is well aware of how unqualified and how unworthy he is 
to even be near Jesus, to even have him in his boat, much less to be called to follow after him. It's, it's like Simon has already looked up the job description on indeed.ca and has decided that, that he's not even qualified to apply. In, in fact, right after witnessing and experiencing firsthand Jesus' work, an incredible miracle in their midst, Simon Peter falls down and, and he cries out, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Basically, the only thing his resume says at this point is name, Simon Peter, home, residence, Capernaum, job experience, fishing, also incredibly unqualified and sinfully unfit for discipleship. It's similar to the the prophet Isaiah's response when he finds himself in the presence of God and he exclaims, I am a man of unclean lips. Right? Because seeing God in his holiness always makes us incredibly self-aware of our unholiness, right? Our sinfulness. You know, it, it, kind of in the same way, like, like I'm a soccer player. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at soccer. In my prime, I was, I was really good at soccer. But if I stood next to, to Ronaldo, right, then I would realize how not good at soccer I am, right? When we, when we stand in the presence of a holy God, we realize how incredibly not holy we are. That's just, just, it's just what happens. And so Peter sees Jesus' holiness and, and authority and by comparison knows how much he falls short. He's, he's, not even, he's not even close. But where everyone else would reject him and say he's unfit or, or judge him, Jesus basically says to him, well, he does say to him, I do not fear. And then he he says, I choose you and I will make you. This is is the reality of God's loving grace, right? And it is is a tangible expression of of the good news of the gospel available to every single one of us. Because our resumes are pretty much the same as Simon Peter's. The truth is that none of us are qualified. A week, a week doesn't go by when I think to myself, God, what am I doing here? Was no one else available? <laughs> because none of us are qualified, right? When it comes to being righteous or, or good or worthy to sit at the feet of God, much less to join Jesus in his mission and, and purpose on earth, we all fall short. We're, we're all sinners, But yet Jesus still comes to each one of us and proclaims into our lives, according to the will and love of God, first of all, do not fear. Do not fear. In other words, he's saying, I'm not here to to, to punish you or judge you. I'm here for you. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then in Romans 3, 24, it says, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction, right? No distinction. All our resumes are, are terrible. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified freely by his grace to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. His grace is free. 
No, no resume is needed from us. In other words, no matter how unqualified or unworthy or, or sinful or ashamed you are or think you might be, there's no distinction. You're not too far gone. Jesus already took your guilt and your shame and sin upon himself at the cross. So, so when we come to him and follow after him with faith, instead of being rejected and judged or, or worrying about him not liking us, right? He freely offers us his grace, his forgiveness. When we come to him with hearts of repentance, just as we are, in, in our sin and in our shame and in our brokenness, we don't have to fear because Jesus says it himself, do not fear. I'm here to save you. I'm here for you. Secondly, though, Jesus tells Simon, along with James and John, that he's not only there to save them, but to also give them a deeper purpose as fishers of souls, fishers of men, fishers of humanity, whatever you want to call it. He's, in, he's inviting them to, to join and partner with him in the most important mission of all time. So so not only is Simon experiencing the grace of Christ in this moment, he's also being offered a position as as a disciple, as an ambassador, to, to partner with the Son of God in proclaiming the kingdom of God. And again, though, though he may very well be the most unqualified person ever, one who's a fisherman, not a priest or a theologian or a Pharisee, one who's incredibly stubborn and who can't manage conflict well, one who will later try to undermine God's will, who falls asleep in, in the most important evening of Jesus' life, one who would betray Jesus three times, one who would cut off a man's ear when Jesus is being arrested. And yet, knowing all of this and and knowing each and every sinful inch of his soul, Jesus still comes to him. Even as the massive crowd on the beach looks on, he says to him, you, Simon Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. That's incredible. And this is the same grace and, and, and eternal calling he freely offers to each one of us as well. And furthermore, th- this is the promise of Jesus in both our salvation and our calling. Not, not that we have to change ourselves to, to get him to like us or to use us for his glory, but that he already loves us and that he will transform us by his own power and grace to become who we're meant to be. We're, we're simply called to follow after him. And Jesus will do the rest in us. He doesn't require us to be qualified because he came to qualify us. As Daryl Bach writes, the lesson is that we need not be perfect to come to God. Rather, we need to trust God and let him do his gracious work in transforming our lives. And, and this is, I think, the, the deeper meaning and lesson behind the miracle of the fish. Let me explain. These three men had spent all night fishing in, in their boat with no success, and, and as they're, they're cleaning up and, and getting ready to call it quits, Jesus meets, meets up with them. And, and, and remember, he'd met Simon Peter previously when, when he healed his mother-in-law. We learned about that last week. 
Anyways, by this time, a crowd had, had gathered around Jesus. They're, they're pressing in on him, right? And so we, he climbs into, into Simon's docked boat and, and asks him to take a, the boat a little further away from the shore, probably so no one else can get in because they're all crowding around him. And then he sits down on the boat and he teaches the crowd for a while about the kingdom of God. And then when he's done, he turns to Simon When he's done, he turns to Simon, probably with a a knowing twinkle in his eye. And he says to him, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And immediately Simon protests, like most of us would, right? Master, come on, right? We've been out all night and we didn't catch anything. What's the point of this? Right? This doesn't make sense to him. I mean, I mean, they're probably tired and ready to go eat breakfast and then have a nap. Also, they just clean their nets. And, and if they put them back in the water, they'll have to re-clean them again or else they'll, they'll dry up and be unusable. Besides, Jesus isn't even a fisherman. What does he know about catching fish? Any fisherman knows that it's better to to catch fish in the night than in the day. Amen, right? I had no clue about that. I had to look it up myself. (laughs) Basically, what what Jesus is asking them uh, to do is only to add on hours to their already long shift, and ultimately, his request doesn't really make any sense from a fisherman's perspective. But, okay, he's seen... Jesus heal his mother-in-law, and he's seen him do other, do other miracles already. So, so in the same breath that, that he complains, he also complies to Jesus' request by saying, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. I like that. If you say so, right? It reminds me of myself as a teenager rolling my eyes at my parents. Right? This isn't going to work, but if you say so, fine, right? And, and so reluctantly... They throw in the nets. A couple of them probably were teenagers. So it's just the way it is. And so reluctantly, they throw in the nets. And immediately, the nets are filled with fish. So many fish, in fact, that their, their boats begin to sink. Their nets begin to break under all the weight. And they have to call their, their fishing partners from another boat to haul some of the fish as well. Obviously, this is such an incredible miracle, and and many are amazed, including two other future disciples who were helping Simon, James and John. And and Simon Peter's not only amazed, but but again, he's also humbled and immediately self-aware in the presence of Christ's authority and holiness, all of his own faults and imperfections and doubts. But again, Jesus' response to Simon to not fear and to follow him so that Jesus can make him a fisher of men not, not only shows him grace, but also explains the point of this miracle. What was Jesus showing him? What, showing them here? Well, the point of the miracle is that Jesus is both the one who saves and the one who will empower us to go and be who he's called us to be. We're simply called to follow and obey. We're simply called to faithfully cast the net in the place where Jesus has told us to. And then he's the one who will provide and bring in the fish. And who do the fish represent? People. The lost. And what is the the net that Jesus is going to call them to cast from now on? The gospel of salvation, right? The good news of the kingdom of God. 
And from that point on, Jesus would call Simon and James and John to become fishers of mankind, fishers of humanity, fishers of souls. From that point on, Jesus would teach them to proclaim the gospel to the lost wherever they went and would later commission them to go into all nations and make disciples, to take their their boat out to any and every body of water to cast their nets to share the good news of Jesus so that all who hear and believe may be saved and in turn commissioned to go and do the same, to catch people, souls, for the kingdom of God. As Daryl Bach again writes, from now on, Simon will, will, will be casting his nets in a different sea, the sea of humanity's need for God. The mission is to catch persons alive. But while this is an an incredible invitation to partner with Jesus Christ in saving the world and proclaiming the kingdom of God, let's be honest, this is also a, a daunting and impossible task, especially because we're unqualified, which is why the invitation and calling comes with that promise when Jesus says, I will make you. I will make you. So Jesus looks past our lack of qualifications and he looks past our imperfections and and sees in us who we're meant and created to be. Jesus came to reveal and transform us into our true selves. Jesus came to give us a new heart and a new identity and new purpose as citizens of the kingdom of God to make us lights for his name. He came to make us in his image. Ultimately, this means that as we follow after him, he will transform us. He will teach us. He will empower us with his word, with his truth, by his grace and by his blood, and of course, with the Holy Spirit to to be who we're meant to be and accomplish the task he's called us to do, which is simply to cast the net. And again, while we're all called as believers to cast the net, again, we, we can't forget, it's ultimately Jesus who brings in the fish. It's Jesus who saves. And, and of course, the size and type of our nets as, as individuals and as churches are going to be different depending on his will for us, depending on the gifts he's given us and where he's called us to cast it. Right? So, so, I mean, not all of our nets are going to be the size of Simon Peter's or Paul's or Billy Graham's. Right? So some, some of our nets are going to be the size of, of leading our children or our neighbors or coworkers to the Lord. So, some will be to lead stadiums, stadiums of people. And, and some, it'll be through songs, some through preaching, some through, the, through art or, or through loving the poor. Right? Some of our nets will catch a few and some will catch many. That's not for us to decide or to judge or to compare. The point is that as his disciples, our end of the deal is to faithfully follow him and to just cast our nets so he can do the rest, which the three men decide to do. After this moment, it says that once they came ashore, they left everything. They left everything and follow Jesus. On that end, as we, as we continue to go through, through Luke, the Gospel of Luke, we'll get to see their journey of how Jesus makes them fishers of humanity as, as they follow after him. And of course, the, the word follow, 
carries many connotations as well that, that we'll also flesh out more throughout this series. But, but really quickly, I want to mention three specific connotations for the word follow. What does it mean to follow Jesus? So first of all, foundationally, to follow Jesus means to believe in his name by faith and trust in him alone. This means we follow after no one else and nothing else. As we discussed last week, a response to his holiness and authority and his saving grace, right, is, is to bow before him as Lord and King. To follow him alone. He served us and, and we respond by serving him as Lord and King. Secondly, then to follow Jesus means to abide in him. To follow Jesus means to abide in him. As Jesus said, he's the vine and we are the branches. We cannot bear fruit unless we abide in him. Unless he is our nourishment and supply, unless he is our strength and support, unless, unless the Father prunes us and sanctify us, sanctifies us, unless the Spirit leads us into truth and, and empowers us to go in love. Though, though I think this, this part of following him is often the very thing we, we neglect to do. Right? We might believe in his name. We might go to church on Sunday to get a dose of Jesus. But what about, what about the rest of our week? Because to abide is to learn to live our very lives every single moment in the power and presence and refuge of Christ. To live devotedly as, as his disciples, sitting at, at his feet, as, as his intimate and close friends, as co-laborers and even co-sufferers for the gospel, as eager students of his word, and as willing and humble servants. It's, and it's only when we abide in Christ that he's then able to transform us and make us into who we're meant to be, into lights for his name. And thirdly then, to follow after him means to obey him. To follow after him means to obey him. As we learn from him, the reality is we'll, we'll, we'll happily obey him. As, as his friends, we'll be eager to obey him. But obviously the obstacle, the big problem for us is that as, as sinful and self-centered human beings, we like to do whatever we want, right? And, and it, so it's hard for us to obey and we often think that obeying God means that we don't get to do the things we want, right? Or the, or the things that we think are best for us. But in the passage today, Simon Peter got his first lesson of obedience, right? That listening to Jesus is actually the best thing for us. We may think we know better, but Jesus knows better. Obeying him leads to blessing. Obeying him leads to the best possible outcome, not just for us, but also for those who come to know Jesus and his salvation through our obedience to him, right? When, when Simon Peter obeyed him, not only was his boat full of fish, but his partners got a full boat of fish as well. And so as the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And in the story, story this morning, we learned that to obey Jesus, what's he called us to do? To obey Jesus is to do what he's called us to do, and what's that? It's, it's the underlying, underlying thing under anything else he calls us to do is this mandate. It's to proclaim the gospel to the lost and lead people to him so they can be saved. 
So let me point out here that that, that isn't just my job. It's not just my job as the pastor to preach the gospel. It's yours. It's yours. You've been called and you've been empowered to proclaim him in the places and spaces that the Lord has placed you. That's what it means to follow after Jesus. So to sum it up, to follow after Jesus is to trust in him alone, to abide in him, and to obey him. Later, Jesus would phrase it another way for his disciples when he says in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And when we do this, when we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and sit at the feet of Jesus alone, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves in a position of humility and dependence and trust where Jesus can and make us fishers of men. When we set aside our old self, our, our, our old lives, our past sins and regrets, and lay them down at the foot of the cross upon which he bore the weight of all those things for us, and then we trust in him alone, he'll certainly make us new. He'll empower us and transform us and teach us to become who we're meant to be as both individuals and as part of the body of Christ. But again, I think that we often think of denying ourselves and picking up our cross and following after him as this incredible sacrifice that we have to make. Which sure, in in one sense it is. In one sense there is a cost to discipleship. But remember earlier when, when I said that in those days to be selected by a rabbi to be a disciple was actually an incredibly amazing privilege reserved only for the most qualified. And that's exactly what Jesus' invitation to Simon and to us is. To be Jesus' disciple is an extremely amazing and miraculous privilege that's worth leaving everything behind for. Made even more amazing and miraculous by the fact that none of us is qualified in our unrighteousness. We're we're not even remotely qualified, yet he chooses us and he qualifies us anyway. So, So nothing compares to this love and grace and calling. Nothing's as important or joyful or as purposeful as this. And the truth is that no one would have faulted Simon for leaving his nets without cleaning them and allowing them to dry up because he wasn't planning on ever coming back to them. He'd just been given the opportunity of a lifetime, and now he had bigger and more important fish to catch. And so when it comes down to it, denying ourselves and picking up our cross to follow Jesus really is no sacrifice at all. Right? It's an incredibly amazing opportunity to be set free and given new purpose for the glory of God. Initially, when, when, when Jesus asked Simon Peter to cast 
his nets in again, right? He, he may have felt like he was going to have to sacrifice his morning and, of course, his time and energy he just spent cleaning the nets, all in order to acquiesce to Jesus' dumbfounding request. But in the end, what did he discover? He discovered that, that, it, that it was no sacrifice at all to obey and follow after him. In fact, it was worth more than his boat could handle, And this is the reality of following after Jesus. It's worth more than we could ever deserve or handle. It's it's a privilege. It's everything. It's true life. It's abundant life. It's purposeful life. It's a blessed life, which is why the invitation also comes with that promise that Jesus will make us, that he'll make us new, that he'll make us whole, that he'll make us righteous, that he'll make us fishers of men, fishers of humanity, of lost souls. And, and so in conclusion this morning, this is for believers and non-believers alike. Respond to Jesus' invitation with faith this morning. Follow him. Believe in his name by faith. Experience and receive his grace and free gift of salvation. Allow him to transform you and make you new. And then, by his power and grace, Start to cast your nets. Go and tell the world about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because this is our glorious privilege and our glorious calling as his disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and the way that which you loved us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to not only rescue us in our sin and in our brokenness, Lord God, but to raise us up and give us new life and new purpose as ambassadors, as lights for your name. Lord God, I pray that we would, would be challenged by the word this morning, that it would speak deeply in, into, into our minds and into our hearts, Lord God, that the reality that, 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 that this isn't just about salvation, but this is about purpose, that you've given us a purpose and that, and that you're, you're empowering us and teaching us to, to walk in that purpose, Lord God, to partner with you in proclaiming your name, your gospel to the world, Lord God. And I pray that as individuals and and as a church that we would be obedient to your word, that we would abide in you, Lord God, that we would trust in you, Lord God, that we would cast the nets that you've called us to cast in the places that you've called us to cast them, Lord God, that we would be obedient, Lord God, and that, and that as we do that, as we do that, Lord, that you would provide the, the fish, that you would save the lost. Lord, that you would bring many into your kingdom. Lord, that we would be your hands and feet in this. And that we would recognize and and realize that that this, this isn't a sacrifice at all, but a privilege, an honor, a miracle that you have chosen us, that you have called us, and that you will make us. And so, Lord, we give you all the glory We lift up your holy name. Amen.